Welcome to People from the Program, a podcast highlighting alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. Welcome everyone to People from the Program, the podcast that highlights the career journeys of alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. I'm your host, Bryce, founder and chairman of the NYU Music Business Alumni Network and a proud alum myself of the NYU Music Business Program. So on today's show, our guest is Cassandra Spangler, ESQ, a music attorney licensed in the state of New York who has been proudly representing artists, producers, songwriters, record labels, production companies, publishing companies, artist managers, industry executives, and influencers, and more since 2010. So she provides counsel and representation to individuals and entities in all facets of the music industry with legal aspects of their music careers, including contracting, copyright and trademark registration, licensing, and business formation. So Cassandra, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bryce. Yeah, so let's start. I'm actually going to start with a little bit of a curveball, and and I didn't tell you this. So being a California native, can you first please tell us what is going on with your Lakers and why are the Knicks having the better season? <laughs> oh, man. And not just a California native, but a huge, huge Lakers fan. And it's been it's been tough to watch. You know, <laughs> definitely miss Kobe. It's not the same. It hasn't been the same since he left. But, uh, you know, we're, we're turning it around a little bit. So they might come back and, and surprise everybody, uh, make it into the playoffs. But... It's been a rough couple of seasons for sure. <laughs> yes. So if the audience uh, doesn't um, uh, understand where this is coming from, Cassandra, I met you a few years ago and we did talk about your Lakers. My apologies. I thought you were a California native or or, or you, you grew up in California, but I guess I'm not correct in that. No, no, you're right. Yes, you're right. But but even more than being a California native, I'm a Lakers fan, Even even above that. So... But yes, you're absolutely right. I grew up in California. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I just couldn't, I couldn't resist it because the Knicks, I would say for the past couple of years, have finally, at least just recently, have surpassed and, do, and have done a little bit better than the Lakers. And that, that normally never happens. So <laughs> I had to get on you a little bit for that. Yeah, I know. It, it's been rough, although I, I have to respect the Knicks, even the Celtics. My dad would kill me for saying that, but... The Knicks and the Celtics and the Lakers, I think, are three just such legacy teams that I have to give them all respect. <laughs> no, no, that's very that's very gracious of you since uh, the Celtics and Lakers have multiple, multiple championships and the Knicks only have, I believe, two. But I appreciate you showing the Knicks who have been terrible for a long time that respect. <laughs> I do appreciate it. Sure. <laughs> no, so... I guess let's jump in and talk about your journey to the NYU music business program. So if I'm correct, you started off from an undergrad as a philosophy major, right? I did. Yes. And I actually, um, when I was going to undergrad, I considered doing the music, the undergrad music business program at NYU. Um, But then when I saw that they had a graduate program, I decided to wait to do that. So um, I did my undergrad in California and then came out here for the graduate program. Excellent. So when you were, so you were at Cal Berkeley, correct? Right. Okay, great. So you're doing the philosophy major. And then when you first found the program, like how that all 
come about? Were you just kind of searching online or did someone tell you about it? So I had found the program actually while I was in high school. Um, and, and that's when I would consider doing the undergraduate music business program, but I decided to wait and do the grad program. So it was kind of my plan, um, even in undergrad was to hopefully get into the program and then move to New York and, and do my graduate degree there. Excellent. Okay. So while you're in the program, you're, you're, you're taking your classes, you're, you're going about your business. Where did kind of the whole thought about pursuing the law and being an, an, a music attorney, how did that come about? When did that start to kind of kind of come into play for you? Yeah, so originally my goal starting back in high school was I wanted to someday open a, a record label. Um, and then this was, uh, I graduated high school 2000. So early 2000s, I was in undergrad and this is when file sharing and Napster and all of that was going on. And it really kind of just changed the whole business model of the industry um, changes that we're still seeing to this day. And so I kind of thought, you know, I don't know if starting a record label is something that's really sustainable. And so I decided, you know, maybe go to law school and become a lawyer and that regardless of whatever changes and whatever new technology and business models there are, they're always going to need lawyers. And so that's kind of what led me there. No, oh, excellent. And I mean, that makes, that makes a lot of sense seeing that everyone, like you said, is always going to need someone, particularly in the music business that understands the nuance of the law and can guide them in the proper way. So very smart on your behalf. <laughs> um, so I guess if we, if we kind of go just back to the program, was, was there a specific or class that really stood out to you? Like, was there a class that stood out to you before you decided you wanted to pursue law versus after you decided that? Or just during the program itself, was there something that really stood out like, oh, I'm really going to take away something from this particular class? Yeah, I would say, I mean, I enjoyed all of the classes, but two kind of come to mind. First, obviously, the music law class, um, which really provided a good background understanding of the legal aspects of the music industry. And it was something that helped me in law school and, and helps me now um, because they don't necessarily focus on those things in law school. And so having that background from the program was very helpful. And then the other class that I really enjoyed um, it was a recording class. It was in the studio and um, we were able to actually create our own single basically for, um, we recorded it from start to finish. And I forget the name of the professor. I wish I could remember, but he was very old school. And so he forced us to actually use old school tape to record because he oh, wow. felt that everybody should know how to use tape, even if they're not going to use it. And it's all digital that you should have an understanding of at least where that comes from. And so that was a really cool class. We got to go and we could go use the studio whenever we wanted to. And it was very interesting, not something, you know, I never ended up going into that direction, but it was just really cool to see how it all works and, and to be able to do it firsthand. 
Yeah, definitely. So, so you're doing, you know, you're doing the things that you just talked about. And then when the program is over, obviously when people want to go, people want to go to law school or when people want to pursue the law, it just, from my experience, talk, talking to people, they want to, they go into a specific part of the law and their path is a little bit, you know, mapped out. Like if they want to go into politics or if they want to go work in the private sector or if they want to open up their own practice. So when the program ends for you and you're choosing your law school and how you want to proceed, talk about that part a little bit. So, yeah, I, I knew that I wanted to go to law school. I either wanted to stay in the New York City area or go back to California. So I applied to law schools only in those two places. Um, and then, you know, I did I ended up going to Seton Hall in Newark and um, they did have some entertainment law classes and that was helpful. Um, but yeah, mainly I just wanted to kind of stay stay in the New York City area. Right. Okay. And so when you're transitioning and, and you're done with law school and, you know, you, you've got this knowledge and now you're like, okay, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go pursue my career in law. Do you start off trying to specialize in a certain aspect of the, of the music industry to practice law? Like, can you give list, the listeners some context for how you got started and maybe how that started your career journey uh, from doing that to, to interning or or going to a specific firm? Like, what's, what's your story there? Yeah, so unfortunately, I graduated law school in 2009, which was uh, right after the banking crisis. And so mm -hmm. the economy was horrible and the job market was very bad. Um, and unfortunately, entertainment and music are one of the first industries to get hit when something like that happens because people right. don't have, you know, money to pay rent and buy groceries, let alone go out and spend it on entertainment. And so there just weren't any jobs um, that I could find in the music industry. And so I started getting experience with other types of law and then just kind of slowly building up my clientele on my own. Um, and some of the connections that I made in the NYU program were very, very helpful in doing that. Um, also, another attorney who I had met who at one point was an entertainment lawyer and then totally shifted his practice to another area. He started to send over a few of his old clients to me. And that's really how I got started, you know, little by little. Um, and then those clients would refer other clients to me and I just kind of branched out from there. So it was a little bit of a non-traditional way of getting there, but I always tell people, you know, that there's always multiple ways to get to where you're trying to go. And so if you're in a situation like I was where the job market is horrible, and I think we're probably in that situation again, right. um, you know, you figure out some other way, be creative, figure out other ways of trying to get to your goal. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's dig into that a little bit because can you talk a little bit about the challenge just starting out? You know, you're you graduated from the program, you've got these connections, you graduated from law school, but you know, it's been my experience a lot of people when it when you're first starting out, particularly in law, they want to go with the established kind of firm or or the more established lawyer that they feel can connect them to to different people and get them in rooms to negotiate different conversations. 
like, can you talk about how you navigated that and kind of how that was like for you trying to build your career up, knowing that, you know, being in law is a tough business and people look for that established name when you're first starting out? Yeah, so I didn't focus on trying to chase big name artists or, you know, big name producers. Um, I focused on, because at the end of the day, anybody who is trying to make music their career as an artist or a producer um, or a manager, actually my very first client was a woman who was an artist manager, um, they need lawyers. And so sometimes, you know, the more established lawyers may be out of their budget or may not have the time to speak with them. And so I was available to speak with them. And, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful for those first few clients that I had because it really created the building blocks for me to learn and get experience with things and then just kind of build up from there. Yeah, definitely. So during kind of during this time as you're building your practice, are you also working as an adjunct professor? I know you did some work there um, at Parsons. Can you talk about that? So, uh, yeah, I used to teach at Parsons. Um, I taught at Parsons from 2013 to 2016. And then from there, I started teaching at NJCU um, in Jersey City. They have an undergraduate music business program. And I'm still teaching there uh, now, actually. So I wasn't doing that the entire time. But it's been 10 years now that I've that I've been teaching as well. Excellent. And have you always kind of along with obviously practicing law, have you always had a passion to teach um, and to kind of educate in that sense? I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of overlap and parallel with your non-conventional path of having to coach and teach the artists that work with you while you're representing them. Now you're doing it with students. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, there is there is definitely a lot of overlap, um, especially when at Parsons, it, it wasn't a music program, it was um, entrepreneurs, fashion designers. And mm -hmm. so and then now it's, it's music business, but either way, it's individuals that are creative and want to make that into a business. And so there's a lot of overlap between that and dealing with clients. Um, although a lot of times teaching is less stressful than than dealing with clients, but um, it's both, you know, they're, they're both rewarding. And even with clients, I love when I have clients that are independent artists and really want, are really, really serious about creating a business for themselves and want to learn about the right steps that they need to take and the protections that they need in place and different types of contracts that they need. Um, and then I love when I see, you know, I'm working with the same artist over a few years and then suddenly they know you know, they'll just send me a checklist of what they need done. And I, it's always very rewarding to see that. That kind of thing is, is actually more rewarding to me than helping a client close a really big deal, um, believe it or not, because I, mm. I just like to see people learning to make music and also make it into a career where they can support themselves. You know, that's interesting. I want to ask you this based on that. What do you believe is the biggest, you know, people have a lot of thoughts about, you know, lawyers, particularly music attorneys, and their thoughts can range in a wide variety of things. What is the biggest misnomer about what you do for clients and what it means to be to work in law and, and work in music? 
What's the biggest misnomer that you're constantly having to almost fight against, if you will? So I think maybe most common is people thinking that um, music lawyers will shop their music to get them a deal. There may be lawyers out there that will do that, but I think by and large, you know, and it, and it used to be much more common, um, but nowadays I, I don't do that. And I think a lot of lawyers have stopped doing it. Um, and, but I get calls, you know, every week I get multiple calls from artists who I don't know, who aren't clients, who are asking if I will submit their music to labels. Um, and part of the problem there is that a lot of the labels will tell these artists, the artists will call the label and they'll say, we don't accept unsolicited demos. You need to have an attorney submitted. And so then attorneys get flooded with these calls. But, you know, by and large, unless it's a situation where it's an, a client who you're really working to develop them and you've been working with them for a while, and then maybe you feel like you can take them somewhere and get them a deal. But it's, it's certainly not something where you can just call someone up and they've never met you before and they're going right. to go and take, you know, your demo or your mixtape to a label and get you a deal. But that's a very common, you know, I get that call multiple times a week. So piggybacking off that, now that we're in the era of artists building their, their brands and their platforms and their audiences via social, are you getting more calls from, you know, the artistpreneurs that are coming to you with a little bit more of a of a base to say, hey, look, my career is at a certain space. I've been building it up. I need a lawyer to help me navigate deals that are coming in or help me pursue deals um, that are gonna continue to grow my career. What has that been like for you, seeing that you have you know, a lot of experience and have seen and have seen the music business change the way it has? Yeah, I would say a couple of things related to that. The first is that I definitely would say that a lot of the interest from labels is going toward um, influencers. So if something is and now currently it's TikTok, but you know if, if something is trending on TikTok or if someone has uh, tons of Instagram followers, even if they may not necessarily be an artist or maybe their music isn't the best, those are the people that labels are making offers to and sometimes even to the point of bidding wars if something goes viral. Um, so I think there's definitely been a shift from, you know, certainly the old days where you would have A&Rs going to open mic nights to discover artists um, to now they have people that are sitting in rooms and just monitoring TikTok and monitoring Instagram because they know that if someone has tons of followers on social media, that's a built-in fan base. And so it doesn't even necessarily matter what the music sounds like. Um, so that's definitely changed, but on the, that, so that's kind of maybe a negative change, but a positive change is that for artists that do have large followings on social media, they can do brand deals and those are very, very lucrative. Oftentimes they can make a lot more money doing brand deals than they, than they make from the actual music. So it can really provide a good opportunity for artists with large followings to supplement their music income by, you know, promoting brands on social media. Yeah, definitely. So then I guess to dig a little deeper into the weeds there, we'll, we'll nerd out a little bit and, and have a question about contracts. How, how's contracting changed now that you have so many 
various ways that the music is being distributed, you know, new ways to run around, particularly as we move into Web3 in the metaverse. Um, how is that affecting your, your job, how you're advocating for your artists and what you're seeing in contracts? I would say for independent artists, it has um, created, well, it's, it's, it's created, it's opened the door for artists to be independent and be fully independent. Whereas back in the days of CDs, um, you kind of had to sign with a label because there was no real easy way to get into record stores and to get your CDs pressed and shipped and distributed. Um, and nowadays you don't need that. So it's really opened the door for artists to be fully independent and just release music on DistroKid or TuneCore um, and not have to sign with a label, but then that creates a lot more responsibility for the artist because a lot of the things that the label may have been doing for them before, now the artist has to do it. They have to essentially be their own label, which um, a lot of artists don't understand all of the responsibilities that come with that and making sure you have all the contracts in place, making sure you've cleared everything with the producers and if you're using any samples and all the different types of things that need to get done. Now, if you're a fully independent artist, you get to keep all of the money, but you also have to make sure everything is taken care of. So it's changed in that sense, um, which is good for me because it creates more work for lawyers because these independent artists need all kinds of contracts and stuff done. Um, so it's changed in that sense. Bryce, did, I, did you lose me? Oh, no, I'm still here. <laughs> oh, okay. For some reason, I got a, sorry, I got an error message. It said I was disconnected, but I guess not. No, no, um, not at all. <laughs> and let's see, how else has it changed? I mean, yeah, definitely, you know, everything has shifted towards streaming. And so that's changed a little bit in terms of how artists are getting paid. You know, you always hear artists complaining about how small the payments from streaming are. Mm -hmm which they are, but um, we have to remember what it was like. Yeah, I mentioned Napster at the beginning, but going back to Napster where the artists were getting paid zero. So at least streaming came and fixed, found a, a solution to that. But yeah, the payments are small. So artists have to find other ways to generate revenue beyond just relying on royalties. Um, and so that's opened the door again for things like brand deals or selling merchandise and Right. all these different alternative streams of income. You know what, Cassandra, let me ask you this. I don't want to assume and take this for granted. When, when you view kind of the law and being an attorney representing your clients, are you, cause, cause you talked about how people will assume you shop demos and you don't do that. Um, do you keep it more towards, okay, I'm going to help you draft up the contracts, make sure, we're checking everything and anything that doesn't look right, doesn't benefit you. Do you keep it in that realm? Or do you see yourself not only as attorney, but as almost this strategic consultant that's guiding your clients on the best decisions to make in their in their own careers and where they should go and how they should be thinking about these things to move forward? Like, like how do you approach that as a lawyer, particularly in today's market? So it really varies by client. You know, some clients, they just, have a contract that was given to them and they want to have it reviewed. Um, and then that's kind of the end of it. Other clients, it's a lot more hands-on where they do have a lot more general strategy type of questions and big picture type of questions. 
Um, so I would say it really just de depends on the client. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And then Anna, if we back up a little bit to talking about how, when you were first building your business and, you know, the, the you know, couple years after that, just the program and you matching and, and calling on just people that you met at the program, how important was that for you to source a lot of those clients from those relationships and kind of when you did that, what was the expectation there? Like, for example, you know, if they're independent, you're getting started out, was it more, hey, I'm going to need a lawyer. I want you to be my lawyer and we'll shake on it. And that was the way it went. Or, or was it a little bit more involved in that? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so I would say it was more so, you know, one of the things I really loved about the program is how close knit it was. And all of us, um, I think there was maybe 12 of us in, in my graduating year, and we all were just very, very close throughout the two years. You know, we would go out after class all the time. We would have different events, get together, watch the Grammys, all these things. So we were very, very close knit. Um, and so a lot of us kept in touch after graduation. And so people knew, um, in fact, I think I even reached out to everybody and I said, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to start my own practice. And if you know anyone, and so people were happy to, to send people over that they knew to me, um, but also helpful in the sense of everybody kind of went into different directions. So, you know, some people went to work at labels, some people went to work at publishers and just doing different types of things. And so having people that you were close to that you could call, even it's something as simple as asking a question, you know, if you don't know how, uh, when, when do labels make their royalty payments, their semi-annual payments or something like that, just having somebody you could quickly ask a question like that too was also very helpful. And, you know, a lot of us have, have stayed friends to this day. I mean, a few of my closest friends are people that I met in the program. So that, that was really my, my favorite part of it was how close knit it was and how everybody was always willing to help everybody out. Yeah, absolutely. I think your graduating class was smaller than mine. <laughs> so, wow, that's interesting. Um, I guess going kind of going back to the actual, you know, business side and, and, and you running your business, was that always the goal for you to be an entrepreneur, to be self-employed? I'm going to have my own practice. Was there ever any thought to, you know, I want to take my skills to a bigger firm and be able to operate there? Uh, how did that work kind of for you? Was there a specific point where you decided, no, I want to be in business for myself? Or was it always like that? It was not always like that. Um, it just kind of happened out of necessity because none of the entertainment firms, there aren't a whole lot of specifically music firms. Um, there are some, but not a ton, not, not the way that there are if you're looking to do corporate law or something like that. So, and they just weren't hiring at the time. So it just, it kind of happened out of necessity. And then once it became a real thing, you know, I, I just can't imagine really ever giving it up. Um, every mm -hmm. once in a while I ask myself, like, you know, maybe I should try to go in-house somewhere or do something, but I just can't imagine giving up, you know, it's, you, you build something and then it's just kind of like, 
you know, you built your own house or something like that. And so it's, um, it's, it's a lot of stress, but it's also very rewarding. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can imagine just all of the, all of the great people you've met and the work you've done. So I have a broad question to ask you, and I'm, I'm very curious to hear your answer since in your job and your career, you touch so many different parts of the entertainment industry. What are you curious about right now and why? Oof, that's a good one. Um, I'm curious about, you know, all this new technology, um, how that's going to shift things even further. I mean, there was such a huge shakeup when streaming became a thing and now streaming is the most popular way that people listen to music and that all happened relatively quickly. And now we're seeing, you know, TikTok is big, um, but there's talks of banning TikTok in the United States. And so what is if, if the major labels are relying on TikTok to source their new artists right now and to promote their music, what are they going to shift to um, if TikTok is banned? Also, AI, you know, there's all this stuff going on with AI and AI created music where they're basically mimicking um, famous artists' voices mm -hmm. and making them do covers that they would never do um, or genres of music that they would never do. I think somebody just released like Kanye doing a, a country album, but it's not really Kanye. It's an AI version of Kanye. <laughs> um, so it's going to be, I think, very interesting to see where that goes. And it's kind of scary to think about what if we get to the point where AI can create music the way that humans create music and then what happens to artists. Um, although I don't know that it'll ever be fully replaceable, but those types of things I think are interesting to watch um, and to see where all that stuff is going to go. Interesting. Do you see those things fundamentally changing the definition of intellectual property and how people see that? I do, yeah, because right now it's kind of up in the air um, in terms of copyright. You know, the copyright laws are so old and they're so slow to update them. And currently there's questions about whether AI-created music can be protected by copyright if it's not created by a human being. And so if that's the case, if it can't be protected and if music starts to become predominantly created by AI, I mean, that would really kind of destroy the entire music industry business model because you could no longer capitalize off of owning copyrights in master recordings or owning copyrights in musical compositions. Um, so I think, you know, hopefully they'll update the law to address these things, but it's an interesting thing to think about Absolutely. Um, it's kind of a basic question, Cassandra. What, what do we like? You're obviously up on all of this. What do the listeners need to be reading and watching to stay to stay abreast of all this? Like, what do you read, and what would you recommend? I would always recommend Billboard. Um, you know, they're always on top of everything, and so if anything happens in music, Billboard is going to cover it, and it's a wide range of all different aspects. So. Highly recommend that. There's also specifically billboard.biz, which is geared toward music business related news. Um, and then for people that are really interested in specifically in entertainment law, 
issues. Um, I like THR ESQ is another blog. It's the Hollywood Reporter legal blog. Um, so they cover not just music, but also things happening in film and TV, um, legal news. So those are kind of like my two go-tos. Excellent. I subscribe to Billboard, so that's good to know <laughs> that my subscription is definitely yeah. the right way to go. <laughs> I know that's the only thing. It, it's it's not cheap. I wish yes. you know, it was a little more reasonable, but but they definitely are, I would say, probably the number one source of news for music. Excellent. Cassandra, I have one more question. I ask all of my guests this question as my last question. If you could go back and talk to yourself on the first day that you started a music business program, what would you say to yourself? I would tell myself to enjoy the next two years um, as much as possible, because honestly, those the two years I spent in the program, probably the most fun that I have had in my entire life. Um, you know, just being in New York City and being able to go to class and then go out to shows and stuff right after just walk over to the venue from class and be with people that you're in class with. Um, it was just so much fun and learning about things that you're interested in and and um, discussions about music stuff and being around a group of people that are also specifically interested in the music industry. Uh, it was just tons of fun. So I would tell myself really enjoy the next two years um, and have fun with it. Excellent. Everyone, that is entertainment attorney Cassandra Spangler. Cassandra, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And this has been a great conversation. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Everyone, thank you for tuning in to people from the program. Uh, we'll have more episodes. Um, thank you. It's been great. And take care and be well. Thanks for listening to this episode of People from the Program. Be sure to check us out anywhere you listen to your podcasts and stay tuned for future episodes of the show. 